Welcome to the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast brought to you by Keep Playing Baseball. This is your host, Ethan Gavon, coming to you from Sacramento, California. Keep Playing Baseball is a registered 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping every high school baseball player navigate the recruiting process and play college baseball. At Keep Playing Baseball, we don't think money should dictate college baseball opportunity, and all our resources, including this podcast, are 100% free. No signups, no fees, no strings attached. We use the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast in many different ways, but the main point is to get you the information you need to keep playing baseball. We appreciate you tuning in to the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast, the best source of recruiting information on the go. What's up, guys? Our guest today is no stranger to the podcast. You may remember him from episodes eight and nine when we discussed pitching and recruiting. That's right. Our guest today is Dimitri Kokoris. He is the pitching coach for the Vancouver Canadians, the Class A short season affiliate of the Toronto Blue Jays. Coach K has a diverse background in college baseball, having coached at just about every single level. His passion will speak volumes and come through on this podcast once again. But now that he's not attached to a college baseball program, we figured we'd bring him back on for an unfiltered look at the recruiting process and what you guys need to do to make it to the next level. So without further ado, let's welcome Coach K. Coach K, great to have you back on the podcast again. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this day for a while. Yeah, now it hasn't been too long since you were on the podcast as a guest, but you've uh, changed residences a few times since we spoke to you last. Yeah, timing-wise, it hasn't been long, but like life-wise and experience-wise, it feels like it's been an eternity. I um, kind of found myself on the outside looking in at Point Loma. Turns out our our head coach ended up accepting a job in Idaho at Northwest Nazarene University, Uh, kind of a personal move as far as family goes, and he's going to do an awesome job building that program. Um. And so, you know, Joe Schaefer's up there, so he's going to do a great job there. But, you know, um, I wanted to get that point low on my head job. It just wasn't in the cards for me and found myself on the outside looking in, actually unemployed for a couple of weeks, which was kind of scary, uh, especially considering we had probably the best uh, year in NCAA history for the baseball program there. Ended up finishing a game out of first place. Uh, we had a freshman win conference pitcher of the year. We had a According to perfect game, we had the top number five ranked recruiting class in the nation uh, as far as Division II is concerned. And, uh, you know, things were kind of pointing up. Uh, we had a center fielder go to the Cape Cod League. Uh, you know, a lot of things were doing, you know, pointing in the right direction. All of a sudden, you know, higher power just decides, uh, no, nah, this isn't the path that you need to take. So rug gets pulled out from under you. Completely, completely. And, you know, you don't know which way is up, down, left or right. And it's something where. Um, you know, this is why I coach baseball is because I tell our players this and I tell the recruits that I've talked to in the past, this is, you know, life's going to, life's going to kick you in the nuts twice, really, really, really hard. Uh, and and you're going to fall to the ground and no one's going to help you up. It's your responsibility to get up. And I, I firmly believe baseball teaches you how to do that. And so, you know, it's having some life skills, I guess, from coaching the game of baseball knew how to get to the next pitch, knew how to, you know, kind of work the process and not worry about the results. And all of a sudden I find myself on a plane out to Tennessee. I've got a lot of great guys, you know, kind of supporting me. Danny Benedetti over at San Diego state hooked me up with the job, with the job in New Jersey division one job, but that wasn't the way it should go. I had Jake McKinley reach out to me from William Jessup, very thankful for him to that, but found myself on a plane to uh, Tennessee interviewing with Jeff six eye at Lincoln Memorial university nationally ranked program back-to-back conference championship champions full-time gig and all of a sudden i find myself in harrogate tennessee on one of the probably one of the most hard-nosed tough grinder programs i've ever been a part of just excited to contribute to a culture and so we go the whole fall there's transition there obviously me being from the west coast away from home and stuff and you know, it's, it's a, it's a transition and he was patient through it, learning how to recruit out there, you know, reconnecting with people that I was, uh, have known from the university of South Carolina and trying to get that thing off the ground and, you know, trying to evolve it. And I tell you, I had, you know, it was one of the best falls I've ever had. I learned a ton 
as far as myself goes, there's a lot of challenges, but, uh, you know, super grateful for it. And then all of a sudden, uh, in the middle of December, I get a phone call from Gil Kim, uh, the director of player development for the Toronto Blue Jays. And, yeah. Yeah. Funny couple. side note on Gil Kim. When I was, I was a D3 player studying abroad in Barcelona and Gil Kim was on the FC Barcelona baseball team. And I connected with him there and probably haven't talked with him in, I don't know, uh, I guess it's probably been 11 years or so. He'll remember um, you. But I, uh, he was there for a couple practices where, you know, me and another guy would go and train at the, the field there. And then, you know, next thing I know, I'm seeing him on ESPN as big time player development guy. I'm so glad you said that because Gil gives me just a whole lot of grief about knowing everybody. When in actuality, I think it's Gil that really knows everyone. And it just so happens to be us crossing paths. So he knew, you know, one of my good friends, Bryson LeBlanc, who I, um, you know, I went, was at the University of Oregon with for a while, who's now coaching at UC San Diego. But he, him and Bryson were building homes at for Habitat for Humanity after the New Orleans, everything happened down there. And he, Gil remembered me. Gil was at uh, Vanderbilt in 2005. Yeah. Uh, and I was in South Carolina and I was just working the radar gun behind home plate. And he was, and he remembered, he was like, Hey, did you used to run the radar gun at Carolina? I was like, uh, yeah, why? And yeah. he was like, he was like, I remember you, we had a conversation with a white Sox scout and I'm like, this guy, like the guy's memory is, is next level. So well, uh, I wouldn't expect him to remember me. He, so you don't, if you're listening to this skill, uh, I'll give you a pass. Yeah. I'm going to, I, I'm telling you right now, don't be surprised if he does. I'm going to, I'm going to slide this over his way and we'll see what happens, but no, I'm glad yeah. you brought that up. Yeah. So, so yeah, I get on the phone with Gil Kim and all of a sudden David Ardsma gives me a call and we have a conversation. And the funny thing with Ards is we're, we're having a conversation. It's just kind of back and forth about pitching. And after an hour, I was like, you know, he's like, Hey, you know, best of luck with your career and everything. And I'm kind of like, was that an interview or was that just two guys just talking shop and really excited about pitching? <laughs> well, all of a sudden you know, I find myself, you know, three phone calls, three, you know, interviews, uh, phone call interviews about an hour each, and and then the next day they're flying me down to Dunedin, and uh, which was a crazy schedule. I think it was a uh, seven hours, and in those seven hours, I had eight in- different interviews, and then a couple days later, you know, uh, they offered me the job, and I took it, and so now I find myself as the short season pitching coach for the Vancouver Canadians in the Toronto Blue Jays organization. So lots. That's Dan. That was all in four months, five months. Yeah, and just. Uh... I think it was just about 17 episodes ago. So yeah. you've done a lot in 17 episodes. So, yep. um, you know, what about this opportunity with the Blue Jays made you willing to leave college coaching? Was there anything that really stood out? Um, uh, so the big word the Toronto Blue Jays uh, keep using is collaboration. Um, we, you know, it's all about everybody getting on the same page and contributing to something higher. We've got an amazing strength and conditioning staff. We've got an unbelievable athletic training staff. We've got pitching coaches that have been within the organization for 20 years. We've got, you know, Cy Young Award winners on on staff. We've got 16-year MLB relievers on staff. And then we've got some, you know, some of our young, bright-eyed new kids who are familiar with some of the, our, you know, analytics, you know, um, you know, we can we can use the analytics. We're not necessarily analytics coaches, but we're familiar with the data. And we understand how to use it with TrackMan and Rapsodo becoming so prevalent within the game. You know, they're, they're just getting pieces. And then, of course, you've got, you know, the sports psychologists, the performance professionalists that are a part of it as well. And, um, you know, you've got a guy like Ben Sherrington leading this whole thing. And, you know, that guy's got unbelievable experience and, and great leadership. And now you feel like, you know, you're a part of something and they, they want you to contribute. And that's super humbling. And it was like everything... I always was hesitant with pro ball because it was so segmented. Guys would learn something in single A and then they'd get to double A and they'd get taught the exact opposite. It was like each level was its own deal where now you're seeing that there's a plan from up top. Each level has a purpose. Everybody's working on the same page and, and there's an overall player development goal for each guy within the Blue Jays organization. And that was something that really excited me. And it was something that I didn't think existed in professional baseball, to be honest with you. But, you know, I was each person I interviewed with, whether it was Gil, whether it was Arzma, whether it was, you know, Ben, whether it was Matt Bushman, uh, whether it was, you know, whoever it was on the phone, uh, they were just super, they listened, you know, they, they, they were really interested in stuff and they asked very poignant questions. 
uh, questions that were, you know, I thought were like, okay, these guys are, it really gave you insight to, you know, their process and, you know, a chance to work in professional baseball uh, with an organization, I believe. And then I think the final thing is I just love the challenge. You know, we're chasing, uh, we're chasing the Red Sox, we're chasing the Yankees, uh, you know, up there in Toronto. And our goal is, you know, we talk all the time about bringing a world series, bringing the world series back to Toronto. I'm like, yeah, 92, 93, man. I remember that. I watched that as a kid with, with my mom, you know, with my parents and with my brother, like we watched every game both years. And, um, you know, that's, that's what I, that's almost like original baseball for me. I remember Joe, Joe Carter hitting the walk off, you know, Williams, which Williams, a wild thing falling off the mound as he delivered the pitch, like John, John Cruck, all those guys. So it's, uh, you know, and, and we, we had some meetings up in Toronto the last couple of weeks, the last weekend. And as you know, as all the different levels of pitching development. And I was just so impressed by how well organized it was, how the conversations were productive and how everybody was moving on the same page together. And I was just, you know, like, like just a kid with his, his eyes wide open, just like, man, I'm just feel, I just feel lucky to be a part of, in this room and, and I'm excited going forward. That's awesome. But well, what we want to do today you know, for those of us that are still working in the, in the college realm and with high school, kids we want to take advantage of the fact that you're not tied to any specific program right so you have this this experience at a number of division one schools at division two schools junior college junior college oh yeah can't forget about that up in the pacific northwest right Mm -hmm. oh yeah and um and pro ball obviously but um you know why don't you just start with you know take us back to when you were a college coach and what was your process that you used for recruiting guys? What was the, let's just yeah. have a conversation about, you know, the way you went about finding players and um, evaluating players and making sure that guys were a good fit for your program. Yeah, I think that's, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head right there with the word fit. Oh, like that is one of the biggest things that I learned uh, wherever I was is I had to learn my program first and foremost, learn the type of individual that was going to excel there. And then kind of kind of backwards chain it. So um, and so as far as that goes, it's kind of twofold um, talent as well as makeup. And so when I'm at the junior college ranks, I'm looking for somebody who's a little bit more projectable. I'm looking for a six foot three kid who hasn't quite filled into his body, who might still be growing, who can spin a breaking ball, doesn't have great fastball command. That's what I'm looking for on the mound. Uh, I, think that, getting- I want to stop you right there and and have you go a little bit deeper on that idea of projectability, because I think sure. that's an area of the recruiting process where, you know, maybe a parent or a player is kind of looking at their buddy who has, you know, worse stats than them in high school. Oh yeah. And they're like, Hey, why is this guy getting recruited to big time university? And I'm sitting here with no offer. So break down that projectability a little bit more. What does that mean exactly to you and how do college coaches use it to find players? Yeah. I, I look for raw athleticism uh, as far as projectability is concerned. I look for somebody who's both explosive as well as coordinated. Uh, and then size helps. And, and I'm not just saying like raw size, it's like, just cause you're six, six doesn't mean you're projectable. Like you've got to be six foot six with the right frame, broad shoulders, you know, hips work as well, symmetrical, symmetrical body, uh, and, and some sort of coordination to go along with it. I think a lot of times I'll get calls from high school coaches and they'll be like, Oh, this kid's just really raw. And you go to watch him throw and you're like, no, he's just not coordinated. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> there's no, there's no amount of coaching that's really going to fix that. Um, and so, you know, I think as far as coordination for me goes, I want to see a kid with fastball command. I want to see a guy who can command both his arm side and his glove side. And so, uh, I can add in junior college, especially, you know, kids, if he works hard, he's going to add 15 to 20 pounds, uh, if he's projectable and and his below is going to go up four, five, six, seven miles an hour within two to three years. Uh, and that's something else is, you know, something I've seen a lot more at the junior college ranks is guys redshirting. And, and understand this, like you don't redshirt bad players at the JC ranks. And what I mean by that is like, if you're not good, um, they're not going to redshirt you. They're just going to get you in and out of the program as quick as possible because you are who you are. The guys that they redshirt are guys that are maybe a little emotionally mature. Maybe, maybe the cupboard's a little full at the JC and you know, you need a year to just kind of develop. But I think that big one, that first one is that emotional maturity. Is kind of like, okay, well, we could pitch you this year, but you're just not emotionally there. You're only going to get about eight innings. You're not going to be able to handle the losses, the adversity. You're kind of behind the eight ball versus we redshirt you. You come back the next two years, 
And now all of a sudden, you're, you know, your third year, you know, you're 88 to 90 with the breaking ball. You can throw for a strike. You can handle situations and, and you're starting for us or you're, you're playing a huge role out of the bullpen. And, you know, you find yourself with like 10 or 15 offers that just wouldn't have been there if you didn't register. Yeah. And so, yeah. So just really trying to assess where you think a guy's ceiling is, mm-hmm. how much growth they have and using that as a that's, measure to get mm-hmm. guys who are maybe a little bit under the radar. Yeah, and that's from a pitching side, from the position player side. Um, there's two things I think hitting-wise I, I've always looked for. One is, does the guy just put the barrel on the baseball? You know, does he have, uh, does he have barrel awareness? Does he, can he, does, he, does he just hit balls? And then the other one, uh, you know, for a guy that's got a little bit more swing and miss, there's got to be pop. Uh, I can take swing and miss if a guy's going to hit a ball 500 feet. You know, I don't mind if you strike out. If you strike out seven times out of ten at-bats and then you hit, you know, two jacks and a double, yeah, I can take that. Mm. I'm okay with it. But you can't, you know, you can't strike out seven times and then hit three singles. Like, it's just a punch and Judy guy who, you know, you're better off just going up there looking for a walk. Does the same thing. And so, you know, power is important. And then something I didn't understand until I got to Santa Barbara City College and, you know, talked with Coach Walker, who's still there, head coach, and Coach Heil, who's actually the recruiting coordinator at New Mexico State or New, University of New Mexico softball. He switched over to the softball side was uh, just the way a player moves, just the way they, they, their actions. Um, and that was something I probably had overlooked for a while, but we kind of started locking in on that stuff. And you can just see athleticism and coordination with someone's footwork, the way that their hands move with their feet. Are they coordinated? Is it fluid? And so that also goes into projectability. And then just going does that, back. Does that carry over off the field as well? Yeah, I can just body language. We talk about that a lot at Keith playing baseball where. You know, hey, the, the first thing that a coach is going to notice about you is the way you carry yourself, your body language. And that might even be before you get into the dugout. That could be stepping out of your car. Yeah, I think body language is a piece of that. That more tells me about your attitude. You know what I mean? Like body language yeah. is going to tell me optimistic guys that are excited. They're going to be chest out. They're going to be going from, you know, place to place. And I'll tell you, that'll that'll keep a guy in a team is, is what that will do is if you've got. You know, you don't want your role players to be sad Sams, you know, guys that just drag their blanket everywhere and woe is me. Like you want your role players to be excited about coming out to baseball. And and then again, eventually if one of those role players as a redshirting could turn into a dude one day. And it's those guys that are optimistic and carry themselves. Well, those, you know, that's something that's something that definitely sticks out. But uh, I, I think more so is just just coordination wise, man. You can see it starting to be able to see it by the way a guy walks. And I know that sounds kind of ridiculous and i sound like one of those old guys in the room in Moneyball, where hey, he's got a good baseball face stuff like that <laughs> i'm not gonna go that far but um you can just tell when a kid's an athlete man you can just tell when he walks how fluid it is and just how coordinated he is and things are in sync versus like you know a guy with like a you know dragging his right foot and he's just got bum leg and his knees all out of whack and his he's just you know his, his hands are uncoordinated and you can just tell by sometimes you can tell by the way a guy just kind of walks and carries himself and how proportionate he is physically. So uh, I try to tell that to guys at prospect camps. I'll be working at prospect camps and I'll pull guys aside before the first pitch is even thrown or the stretching's done and I'll let them know, hey, 85% of, of what we're looking for, you guys can't control, whether it's arm speed, command, the way you throw a breaking ball, how you move, bat speed, barrel awareness. Like you can't control that. There's 15% that you can. But I, I think my biggest thing is the reason I tell guys that is it takes the stress off of them. Because I know so many guys just go in there tight and they're trying to impress coach and X, Y, and Z. Like, look, that's great, but just play the game hard and have fun. Like, that's yeah. all I'm looking for. And if you play the game hard and you have fun over those one or two days of prospect camp, uh, you're going to show yourself the best version of yourself and it's going to give you a chance to evaluate you. But the biggest mistake I see is a kid that's, he, he's like, he's always, we call him a coach watcher. He's always got his eyes on coach. Like he's trying to, you know, he's, he's trying to impress and it's just like, right. and because he's trying to impress so much and he's so worried about what we think he, he, he plays tight, he plays nervous and, and he's, Oh, I want to get a scholarship so bad. It's like, dude, what I'm looking for, you can't control. So just ha- come out here, have fun, learn something, man. I think that's a big thing. Finding a good prospect camp. I think we did a great job of that at Lincoln Memorial is, you know, they were instructional. Um, you know, guys learn stuff in the prospect camp. They got better. And we tried to give them tools for baseball. So, when you're going to a prospect camp, pick one where you can be, you know, learn something and, and have fun with it and just kind of be the best version of yourself. Because, again, a majority of what we're looking for, you can't really control. So just 
be the best, most confident, most fun having version of yourself. If we like you, sweet. If we don't, guess what? It's not the end of the world. If you want to play baseball in college, there is a place for you. It I might, I mean, it might, you might not hear, probably not going to go to Texas. Guess what? You know, you, yeah. it's, it's just not going to happen, you know? And, and those guys that are like, dude, tip your cap. That's great. That's phenomenal. And if you have a teammate that's going there, dude, that's awesome. Support him. But, um, you know, if you truly love the game of baseball, not the status that you can achieve and not, you know, all the stuff or the way people treat you because you play, but if you love the game of baseball and are willing to work and you're willing to move for, you know, somewhere in the United States for an opportunity, there's a program out there for you. So, you know, don't, don't put so much pressure. I want to, I need to go to this school. Like, no, you don't. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, you don't because if you force it and here's the other side that no one talks about, if you force it, if you want to go to a D one, like a good division one, and you think you're a power five guy and you're not, you're going to show up, you're going to get buried. You're going to have just a tough experience. And then all of a sudden at the end of your freshman or sophomore year, you're going to be looking for a place to play because you're not going to cut it there. And now you're going to have, I wouldn't say wasted a year or two of your life. Cause I think you learn a ton through failure. I think you're going to have grown emotionally and, and maturity wise. I think, you know, I'm not going to discount that. I think a lot of those guys become better because of that experience, but like versus a place where you're a good fit, you know, you get along with the coaches. It's in an area that you, you're here. You adapt with the personalities are there. You're studying the stuff that you want to study. If that's important to you, it doesn't have to be. Uh, all of a sudden, you're going to find yourself in certain environments. And yeah, you don't have the label on it. You're not a D1 guy, quote unquote, but who cares? Like, that's for other people. Like, for you, if it's really about playing baseball, like, it's it's more important for me if, if you have a good experience. And I think that's something for me. Like, that's why I didn't mind coaching JC baseball. I didn't mind coaching Division II baseball because I, I was a part of unbelievable programs with great coaching staffs and even better kids to work with. And it didn't didn't feel like a D2 because we didn't care. We just, we got a chance to coach and the kids had a chance to play and it was, it was unbelievable. Yeah. Two things I think you said that I want to just highlight one, you know, keep coming back to the idea of finding a fit. And the other one that you briefly mentioned was just be the best version of yourself. Right. You don't have to, you don't have to pretend to be someone that you're not or a player that you're not. If you're the best version of yourself, if you, are comfortable within your skin and happy where your feet are, you work hard and have fun, you're going to be able to find a place to play. For sure. hundred percent. You just got to be open to it. And yeah. again, you know, especially like <laughs> junior college baseball is good baseball division, you know, division two baseball is really good baseball. Uh, you know, NAI is always, there's, there's, there's programs out there. D three, you know, if you're a little bit more academic, like go that route, you know, D one's not, you know, we joked around about, it. I was talking with, coach Walker over at Santa Barbara city college, but some of his guys want to go D one. And they think that if they go D one, all their problems in life are going to go away. Yeah. It's like, Oh, now I got my D one scholarship. Like everything's been removed. That's it's just not the case, man. You, you know, it's just not, it's not how it works. Now that being said, you know, there's the opposite side of that, which is there's guys that want to play at the highest level. And, you know, as the pressure gets, you know, is, is increased and increased, they perform better and they bear down and they get more out of their talent level. So, you know, uh, D1 is a great fit for them, and those guys should grind away and, and trying to find there. But you you got to be honest with yourself as to what the best fit is going to be for you. Great. So let's take it back to step one. If I'm a if I'm a high school player, or maybe even a junior high player, when should I start the recruiting process, and what exactly does it mean to start the recruiting process in your mind? I mean, for me, golly, for me, it's about just play. Just play your freshman, sophomore year of high school. If you're really that good, they'll find you, whether it's on your high school team, find the travel ball team. I think that's more, um, more concerned with development uh, than it is necessarily with exposure. Right. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is I, just because a team wins doesn't mean it's not about development. I think you can, there's different forms of development. Uh, what do you need? Do you need, are, do you need a coach that's going to break things down for you step by step? Or do you need a coach that's going to push you? You know, and I think that's something you need to decide and then see what opportunities are there. But um, play, I mean, for to be honest with you, like uh, when I was coaching college, I wanted freshmen and sophomores. I wanted multi-sport athletes. I wanted a guy. That's my first question. What other sports does he play? How athletic is he? Um, and so, but, you know, play baseball. 
and do that. And if you're good enough, like if you're throwing 90 as a sophomore with a breaking ball, D1s are going to find you. They're going to find you. It's You never know. Here's a huge one. Every time you play a game, every team you play against, those coaches belong to a network. They belong to a network. They've played at a school. They've come from a school. They've coached for other people. And if you stand out in that game, they're going to call their buddies and let them know, hey, you know, there's a kid so-and-so at such-and-such high school where you got to look into this guy. He's pretty special, you know? And so freaking out freshman, sophomore year. And here's, here's the other thing, too. I tell parents this all the time. Like, there's like 1%, less than 1% of the population is getting offers their freshman and sophomore year of high school. It's just those are the only things you hear about on Twitter. Right. The NCAA has done studies and released studies recently about that, and you're right. It's, it's like, it gets yeah. the most noise, but it's, it's noise. The, the vast majority of kids are, are signing their senior year. Uh-huh. Yeah. But, or committing but, their senior year. Oh, or, it, or even getting, getting their first offer. There's 99% of kids are getting their first offer their senior year, a lot of which don't happen until after their season's over. Yeah. You know, when guys don't talk about that. And so I'd say, you know, kind of freshman, sophomore year, just play, have fun, play other sports, do what you got to do. If, if you if you've got a good travel team that's around and you kind of want to bear down on that, go for it. But don't just be really wary of is it an exposure team or is it a developmental team? Uh, and if it's a developmental, again, they can win and be a developmental team. So just kind of lock in on that. Uh, your junior year is kind of tricky. It sets you up for your soon, senior year. Your junior year is kind of one of those where it's like, if, I think that's the time where if you're not in love with basketball or you're not in love with football, it's time to probably shut those down and start bearing down on developing, um, start bearing down on getting, you know, stronger in the weight room, having some sort of developmental thing going on in the fall, playing with the fall league, uh, making sure you're on the right summer team for exposure. Maybe you can kind of transition that way. But uh, your junior year is kind of kind of that transition period figure out if you really lo- like, and that's something else is like, don't miss out on an unbelievable basketball season. You're going to remember the rest of your life to bear down on baseball. Cause you want a scholarship. Yeah. Like if you're good and play on the basketball team and you know, you're, or you have a special team, like be part of that, man. That's, those are good life experiences. Um, yeah. We like to blanket, you know, we like to make blanket statements or, you know, <laughs> or statements that are really easy to digest, right? You, you should play oh, yeah. multiple sports or you shouldn't, but ultimately, uh-huh. you know, it boils down to the individual, you know, what do you want to accomplish out of playing? What do you enjoy doing? And so it's hard to kind of throw that blanket statement if I'm reading you correctly and just couldn't do this or do that. I couldn't agree with you more. I think I drive, I think I drive most people very crazy because people want a yes or no black or white answer when they ask about recruiting or baseball or development. And I just, <laughs> it doesn't exist it all depends on your environment you're supposed should i play summer ball? i don't know do you have the greatest summer ball maybe you've got one of the best development summer ball programs near you of all time and they're excited to have you and that's great i don't know maybe you've got a summer ball team that isn't oh uh, well should i you know focus more on high school okay well maybe you know yeah. i don't know there's high school coaches coming all shapes and sizes man i don't know <laughs> like yeah maybe your high school fall program is unbelievable i don't know Maybe we you're, get, you know, it all depends on the kids. Those, a lot and, of those questions, right? It's, is it high Should I focus on high school or travel ball? Should mm-hmm. I play at a public school or a private school? And, and play, you know, it, the dichotomies are, you know, pick and choose what you want. But the answer is, you know, there's kids in college baseball from all different backgrounds. For sure. Um, all different places. So there's no one size fits all model. And one thing I will say is this one thing I will, something I can say confidently is mom, dad, trust your instincts. Like just trust your instincts. Like if you have a good feeling about a guy or a program, go with it. You know what I mean? If you have, you know, you know, your kid best, you can read situations. Well, like if there's something that feels right to you, go for it, you know, and, and you know, quit. And if there's somebody who's an expert on something around there and you think your kid's going to get a good experience with them, go for it, go for it. Um, but once you make that decision, you know, sit back and watch and, and be a part of it and, and encourage. And then there's a time and a place to reevaluate, you know, is this, was this right? Was this wrong? Do we want to continue this? But, but, uh, I have a lot of faith in parents most of the time, uh, you know, in the recruiting process, parents have really, really good gut instincts and I laugh when they kind of shut it down. My favorite one is, uh, well, it's his decision. It's like, no, it's not. <laughs> 
No, it's not. Is it, you know, there's some schools that, you know, have it's, there's a $50,000 bill attached to it per year. So that's a $200,000 decision. You got to be kidding me. If you think a 17, if you, if you feel confident in a 17 year old making it. It's funny you, know? you say that because that's the exact, you know, when we go and talk about the recruiting process to parents, we ask them how many of you would be comfortable allowing your 17 year old to make a $250,000 investment <laughs> on their own. And not a, not a single hand goes up. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, let's chew on this a little bit more. So sure. the ideal parents role in the recruiting process. On one hand, you know, you often have parents that get over-involved. Oh, yeah. On the other hand, it's like you said, you have the parent that says, well, it's his decision and they're, they're under-involved. So mm-hmm. kind of break down what you see as that ideal responsibility for the, well, for the parents. I'll definitely break it down into two chunks as to what I've seen. Uh, at the junior college rank where you're not paying nearly as much and it's a two-year decision, I've definitely seen parents much, much less involved. Uh, so it's like, you know, two grand per semester per year to go, you know, to a JC. Uh, and I think they take the, the the position of being under involved to a point where it's like not all JCs are created equal. Uh, you know, different JCs have different strengths as far as the baseball program goes, as far as transferring is concerned. Like, look into that transfer percentage. Uh, again, Santa Barbara City College, we had something called the TAC program where you could transfer to any UC school. At the end of two years, getting your degree and completing that program, any use you were in a Berkeley, you were in a Cal, you were in a UCLA, uh, you know, and it was an unbelievable program. Uh, and so but parents would be like, ah, you know, it's just a JC. It's like, no, it's not just a JC. Like it's there's more going on there. So I would say be more involved, be more involved, learning the coaches, the situation, uh, where the staff's headed, what their idea is, what type of success they've had in the past. Um, because, again, that JC is going to set your kid up you know, two years later to make another decision, which is going to be extremely important. And then the other one that I would say is, you know, at the four, at the four year level, especially at those D2s that have that price tag, you know, that, you know, $30,000, $40,000 price tag, parents get a lot more involved then. And um, really, the biggest mistake I think parents make at that level when they get involved is they start making a decision for them and not for their kid. Like, oh, this is where I would have gone. And it's like, <laughs> but you're not your kid. <laughs> Um, talk about it with your kid, ask your kid questions. Hey, what do you think about this? How do you, how are you going to deal with that? Okay. This is what I've seen in the past. Share your insight. Hey, I've seen you have this sort of a coach in the past. This is the coach that you've thrived under. This is the coach that you've had a tough time with. Take those things into consideration. Um, you know, and and just ask a lot more open-ended questions and try to help your kid guide your kid to making the right decision. Don't make the decision for them. But, but, um, there's a lot of times where parents, you know, that's when they get under involved. I think at that four year process level is, is when they don't ask questions they know are important for their kid to just consider during the process. Um, remember it's a, it's not a four year decision for college. It's, it's a 40 year decision. Yeah. You're going to leave there with a diploma the rest of your life. Uh huh. And that job's going to support you for the rest of your life. And so, um, you've got to be, you've got to have some sort of perspective on that. If you're going to play division two baseball, you're probably not getting drafted. It's just, it's just the reality. Now you can, I'm not saying it's not a situation. It's not a course. And if that's your dream and you got the talent, like go for it. And you think that's the best position. That's great. But like, you're probably not getting drafted. And if you do, you're probably, you know, it's slim and none that you're going to make a living playing the game of baseball. So be very considerate of your experience at that school, as well as where that school is, what, what that degree is going to put you in a position to do for the rest of your life. Yeah. So you, you know, you hear people say different things, right? So you're talking from a very realistic perspective. You know, you'd have some people that argue, you know, well, baseball is the one game where you can really go anywhere and make it, right? And, and there's there's a lot of different stories uh, from major league players, minor league players who went to small schools, right? But which what we're talking about here is playing the percentages. Is that a fair statement? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And just because just because you made the right decision doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work out the way you wanted it to. Um, It's just that's the way life is. Things happen. Um, You know, things don't line up. Maybe a coach there's a coaching change. Maybe there's something happens within the program. Maybe a kid there's a kickback that falls into the program's lap and all of a sudden, you know, your kid's road to success is blocked. Uh, I think it all has to do with your perspective on how you deal with it. But yeah. uh, you're going to make an educated decision. This is something I tell parents, no matter what decision your kid makes, it's going to be the right one because that's the optimist. That, that's just the perspective you have to have. Once you make the decision, it's over. 
well, what if I would have gone here? Or what if I would have gone that? Now that's, you're going to drive yourself insane. Once you make your decision, it's the right one because it's the decision that you made and then make it work. I think that's something that, you know, coaching JC baseball in Oregon, um, you know, coach Pratt at Chemeca, he did such a good job of developing young men because we constantly were focused on what we could control being optimistic. You know, uh, he had a big phrase it's called compared to what, like, Oh, this is tough. I'm not playing. Oh, this is tough compared to what, you know, you got kids in Afghanistan right now fighting for our country. Um, you know, compared to that, how tough is this? You know, and, and you don't know, you don't know what the situation would have been like going somewhere else. You don't, you know, there's adversity over there that's disguised. So, you know, really lock into your situation, be optimistic about it, and then find a way. I think something else that I constantly hammer into our players' mind is, you know, be so good they can't ignore you. If you want to play, if you want to start, be great. Don't, don't, don't be just as good as the guy you're in a position battle with. Be so good they can't ignore you. They can't not put you in the lineup. Because I got news for you. Um, you know, you could have 20 different coaches with the same team. The starting lineup, eight out of those nine guys are probably going to be the same guys with 20 different coaching staffs. And, you know, you don't want to be that one guy that's constantly changing. You want to be a guy that's, you know, so good that they can't leave you out of the lineup. Can't that's your job. For debate. Yeah. yeah. And again, like, you know, again, going back to what Coach Walker at Santa Barbara City, he tells his guys this during exit interviews. And it's true. He goes, you know, your job, my job is to bring in players that are better than you. It's your job to make sure those guys don't exist. And there's a reason that motivates guys and it fuels them and they produce. And that's why Santa Barbara City is constantly turning out Division One guys that contribute wherever they go. Um, and so it's, you know, it's, it's impressive. And, and it's because they have that attitude, that mindset. And he's honest with them. and He's real with them. Like, I think that's something you want to make sure in the recruiting process is like, make sure everything isn't sunshine and rainbows on your visit. Like if every single question that you have is the answer that you wanted, you're in trouble. Like not every place is a perfect fit. It doesn't exist. You're, you're not going to find your perfect fit in the recruiting process. If you do, it's because you only look at one school. <laughs> like, yeah. um, and so, you know, there's going to be things, the more schools you look at, the more stuff you're going to have to leave behind. And, and that's, that, that just tells you that you did your process correctly. You know, I like this school's, you know, the coaching staff on this school's good, but I like this, this weightlifting program and these, this, this, uh, curriculum set up nicely, you know, and you've got to figure out factors based on all those decisions. What's the right fit for you. But I'm telling you, the biggest red flag is if you walk away from somewhere and every single question they answered was exactly what you wanted to hear, like careful, careful. Cause that's, that's not the way what life works. Chances are. Sounds like buying a used car, right? Oh, yeah. Everything's great. Oh, no, everything's great. For, you know, two two months into it, it's like, wow, that turns out it was in a fender better and, you know, two years ago. And, the, you know, catalytic converter actually was never fixed. So good luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think what you're getting at here is kind of the elephant in the room, right? The things mm -hmm. that you can't really talk about as much when you are an active college coach is the power dynamics. Oh, my gosh. In the recruiting process. So let's. Oh, yeah. Let's open that that box up a little bit uh, now that you aren't in that role and you can yeah. have to speak the truth. So For sure. Who you know who holds the the power in the in the recruiting process? Yeah, uh, it depends on the the talent of the athlete. There's a there's a spe the the more the more programs you have offers from, the more quality programs you have legitimate offers from, the more power you have. It's economic supply and demand. But if you go into a college, you know, if you go on a visit with no offers and a, and a, and a school, this first school to offer you, they have the power because they're the only offer. Um, put the screws on you. They Potentially they can. They have they have the options of doing that. They have the options of doing that. Or if it's the first D1 school that you have an offer from and you're not very excited about the other schools, I would say that's something for parents is like sound excited about other options. Yeah. You know, if you go in there, go, oh, this is really the school that he wants to be at. It's just like kind of for me, it was just like, OK, cool. Because there's, you know, there's the true value of a kid and then there's the market value of a kid. You know, uh, yeah, I made a living off of figuring out, you know, a bend between. I don't I'm not going to screw a kid over. The kid's good. Like we're going to offer money and we're going to make sure. But if, you know, if you can get to a certain place percentage wise and save five percent here or five percent there, that, that gives you more scholarship to bring in another kid. Like, yeah. you know. You bringing so much to give hundred percent. You got, you know, at the division two level, you got nine scholarships for, you know, 35 guys and 
the unfortunate thing was, you know, uh, some of that's countable aid and non-countable aid, and it, it works out really weird. It's not just nine straight scholarships. So if a kid qualifies for money, but he doesn't have good grades, uh, then we have to count that as countable aid and his scholarship. Just it's harder to give him stuff. One thing I can tell you, this is universally. This is a huge one for parents. Parents, make sure your kids get good grades. The higher a GPA and SAT and ACT scores, the more money that you can get from other places, the easier it is to package an athletic scholarship. Yeah. And those kids are so highly con- coveted at the Division One level. So, like, if your kid's got an 88 and he doesn't turn in some homework assignments, make sure he turns those in because the difference between a 3-3 and a 3-7 is probably going to be $60,000 over four years. Right. can make a huge difference. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And then it's also, you know, you want to go with that guy because you can package more and it's more affordable. And that kid's also shown that he's responsible in the classroom. Exactly. Uh, But, yeah, as far as leverage goes and stuff, just understand this. The less offers you have, the more susceptible you are to be in deadline. And I think that deadline is a scary thing. Now, it's a necessary tool for college coaches. Because there's a lot of kids that just drag their feet and they string college coaches along. So understand this. Just because you're being deadlined doesn't mean that it's, you know, it's a big bad wolf of the college. Like some other kids have come along and some recruits and and they've kind of messed that up for you by stringing programs along. But now it's come into something. So if you if you if it's the first place you're visiting and they put a deadline on you, you know, then the school's got the power. But if you've got multiple offers. And you're kind of able to move along that way and, and, and have a market, and, you know, have options that you're excited about. It really it, it changes the power dynamic very dramatically, especially if you've got multiple offers in a, in a particular conference. You want to see you want to see coaches start bidding against each other, you know, start, start, start drumming up and not from the last place team. You know what I mean? Like, oh, we have a, we have 100 percent offer from, you know, X team that's finished, you know, 0 and 50 the last four years. It's like. Well, good luck. That almost that almost tells you that you're not serious about winning and competing. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna consider that, I'm talking like top three teams in conference. Yeah, I mean that that starts a bidding war because it's There's different options, right? Just and again, it goes back to it goes back to fit. Oh yeah. I want to go back to something you said. You know, you said, um, you know, sometimes kids drag their feet, and that kind of ruins it for the other kids and makes, you know, the deadlining a necessary deal. And so you have coaches that have their own timeline, so to speak, right? They, they're looking to fill out a roster. They don't want to let it get too late. Um, you know, they have multiple kids that they're trying to evaluate and rank. And so, uh, absolutely that deadline is, is an important tool for Mm -hmm. them. And at the same time, you have kids that have their own sort of timelines and the way they want things to play out. So let me throw a scenario at you. If I'm one of the kids that gets a deadline from the school, one of my first offers, or you know, mm-hmm. I'm not too excited, and I, you know, that deadline's a little too much for me. You know, it's too quick, too soon. Yep. What's the best way for me to handle that? Communicate it. I think we talked about that the that first time that I came on. Yeah, I think that's probably the biggest thing. Is like, I think you asked the the question you asked me was, you know, what question do you not want to hear? out of a recruit's mouth or do you dread hearing out of a parent's mouth? And uh, the answer to that was, it's not the question that that I dread. It's them not asking the question that I dread. Um, If you communicate to a coach, Hey, I'm looking to make a decision at the end of spring and they deadline you, you know, in the beginning of spring, just talk to them and just be like, just straight up. Just like, Hey coach, like I appreciate your offer, but never, ever insult the offer. I've had parents do that. It's just, it's such a turnoff where it's just like, Ah, uh, you know, we said this and you did that and weren't really, but you know, like they're offering you a scholarship. Be appreciative. Right. But, um, you know, you know, there's, I appreciate there's a way to frame things and, and communicate things. That's really 100%. important. The way you say things is just as important uh, as what you say. hundred percent. But, you know, I really appreciate the offer. Uh, this is something I'm excited about, but I'll be honest with you. The time frame kind of bothers me. I've been open about the fact that I want to make a decision at the end of spring. Uh, and if I think that's something, if you're able to allow me to do, I would be very excited about this would be a much more considerable offer and you know i have an opportunity to take but at this current moment with the time frame the way that it is and just just it's something that's with the time frame the way that it is it really increases the chance the likelihood of me not taking this yeah and by doing that you're opening the door for communication so maybe 
maybe the coach comes back and says, well, look, you know, we're going to offer another kid and we can't guarantee you yeah, that we're going to have fine. the same money, yeah. which is fine because that's your timeline. Uh-huh. But that lets you know. And then, hey, if they do have that money when when the end of spring rolls around or maybe they even see you play again and oh yeah, and like you even more and they have more money. So oh, yeah. Things are very dynamic and fluid. They're always changing in recruiting. So and let's and and let's touch. You know, I'm going to bring this back. Is is let's touch upon that something we touched upon super earlier. But let's bring this back up. Is uh, what should you be doing? Like you should be getting better as a baseball player. Um, yeah. I've there's certain kids that I'll see as a coach. I'll go to like 20 different prospect camps and showcases, and I'll see the same kid 20 times, and he's the same kid, and he hasn't changed. And I didn't like him the first time for our program. And I'm not going to like him the 20th time for our program because nothing's developed. Now there's the kid that'll come, he'll showcase, I'll look at him. I'll be like, Oh, that's interested. So he'll go home. He'll develop. He'll play the game. He'll get better. He'll tighten up his breaking ball. He'll get a feel for his fastball. He'll learn how to compete a little bit. He'll toughen up, you know, he'll give up a five spot and learn, Oh shoot, I can't do those things. Or, Hey man, I got to bear down. And then the next time I see him in season, He's up two miles an hour. He's bearing down and he's got a wipeout breaking ball. They didn't have the first time. And maybe we've offered him. He's declined to wait to season, see him in season. And then all of a sudden, you know, offers aren't going the way that they, he wants. And he revisits us. And now all of a sudden, yeah, money does open up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, and so get better. Like the kids, again, the kids that have the leverage are the kids that are, there's nobody like that kid. Like a left-handed hitting shortstop that hits for power and average. Like that kid's got leverage. doesn't matter where he goes. Because you just can't find that guy. So, you know, be that kid that's just really, really good. And so, if you know, you don't like the offer. Like, so, and those are some of my favorite kids. I'll be honest with you. Kind of let the cat out of the bag on this. It's like sometimes I'll, I'll offer a kid in, in, you know, September and he'll turn it down and he'll be like, no, nah, I, I, you know what? I got a lot more growing and developing to do. And I, I think I, can, I just want to see how the season goes out. That kid's betting on himself. The kids oh, I love it. It makes me frustrated. I couldn't close the deal, but it also makes me be like, you know, some of my closest relationships in, in, in baseball with players are kids I didn't get. And I just fell in love with the kid through the process. You get a kid like honors green. Who's over at, you know, William Jessup university and that kid's he's good. And he bet on himself. You got to he decommitted from Oregon state because he looked around and he said, there's a grain ear here. You know, there's magical here. I'm not going to play here. And he kind of bet on himself, went to a California JC, did really, really well and found himself in one of the top NAI programs. Uh, a kid like a Bo McClintock, who's now at, uh, again, another NAI, but over at um, Faulkner. And these were kids that I recruited. And like, even though they didn't end up coming to our, the school that I was at, like, I was just like, dude, I, I want to see how this turns out. I want to see how this kid does. Yeah. Because this kid's betting on himself. And it's just so rare to find in life somebody who's got the confidence to say, no, I'm good. Like, I'm going to do this. Like, I'm going to find a way. Well, and I think um, you bring up another really good point, you know, about following players is, is the baseball world is so small, right? Yeah. It's, it's so small, and you already touched on it before, but everyone has a network of people, and these networks overlap. And you just never know, right? And so I think what you're really hitting on is a great point for recruits and parents out there is you got to handle yourself the right way and you need to do things the right way even even in your commitment right because mm-hmm. um oh things change so you need to treat parents, everyone with respect you need players, to be please, grateful please 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 players do not let a coach that has offered you and waiting for an answer find out about your decision on twitter yep call them and tell them directly and you know what it sucks and it's hard to tell someone you are turning them down to go to another school is hard. But guess what? It's the tough things in life that make you stronger and build character. And it's the thing, having those phone conversations will suck, but you will walk away knowing you did the right thing. And there will be unintended consequences from those phone calls that are going to put you in a better light versus being like, oh, you know what? Those are hard. I'm going to avoid them. Let me tweet this out first. We're, what, what do you think? <laughs> hey, guys, like I got news for you. A coach follows you on Twitter. And I know he followed you like two years ago and you forgot that he's following you. He's still reading your stuff. Like doing his job. He's doing his job. He's looking into stuff. You know, he's, he's looking at, and I'm, you know, I took it a step further, man. Hey, guess what guys? Like, and here's something important for, for players to know, like, and I'm a little different. I'm a little, I had one coach call me psychotic coach Bloodworth at UC Irvine <laughs> because I did this. Uh, but I'll look at what kids like. There's a tab on Twitter. That's, you know, see what this guy liked. Yeah, college coaches can see that stuff, guys. Guess what? 
And guess what? We're looking at it because we're trying to gather as much information as possible. Are you a Fortnite kid? Are you a kid that just keeps liking all? Are you a shortstop that keeps liking all the Friday fielder stuff? You can't get more of it. Are you a pitcher that keeps liking all the slider stuff? Or are you, you know, our kid that likes, you know, certain paraphernalia that that isn't going to work well within our program? Right. And it lets me know about who you are. You know what I mean? The likes, um, the retweets, who, oh you're, my who you're following. It all paints a picture about all, who you are. Because, again, you know, Point Loma, we have 32 spots on our roster. No more. That's it. We brought in 32 guys. And we brought in 34. We brought in a couple local guys that kind of knew the deal. But we, we had 32 guys on our roster. I couldn't miss on character. We just couldn't do it. And so we're going to do stuff. We're going to go the extra mile to kind of check things out. But, you know, and and I'll tell you this, Coach Bloodworth's got his own way of doing that stuff. That guy's a phenomenal recruiter. He's checking that stuff out. He's calling your high school coach, junior college. He's calling guys high school coaches. He's doing background stuff because he's really good, and he's going to make sure that he finds the right players, the right fit at their program. Right. And here's, here's one that we missed that I'll just touch on really quick, but – the timestamp on your tweet. If you're tweeting in the middle of math class, <laughs> if you're tweeting in the middle of English class, uh, that also says something, right? Yep. Yeah. The the funny one is I'll shoot a text. I'll, like sometimes I'll shoot a text to a kid in the middle of the day, not expecting a response until the afternoon. Right. I'm like, okay, I got a to do list. I'll just, you know, it's one o'clock. Like, hey man, gonna give you a call tonight. Hope things are going well. Awesome, coach. Can't you know? Looking forward to it. And it's like, geez, aren't you in? Aren't you <laughs> yeah. in school? Right. Now, here's another reality of the situation. Uh, the better the kid is at baseball, the less I care. Right. <laughs> like, if we got a lefty that's 92 that throws a slider for a strike and paints the corners, you know, I'm going to let a lot more things go. I'm just excited to hear back from that lefty. I'm like, oh, geez, Clemson hasn't jumped in on there. <laughs> like, you know, but if you're that, you know, which most kids are, if you're that kid that's, you know, got other guys that are like you that we're recruiting, like, that's just something we take note of. And we don't we don't have meetings of, hey, when did this kid text you back? But it's just something that's kind of in the back of your head as a coach. Think little things add up. Yeah. Little things add up to, you know, that, that lip in the grass didn't build itself in one day, right? It's, Correct. It's, that's a, I'm stealing that. Yep. It's a, <laughs> it's a little bit of, of field neglect every single day that's building that up. So For sure. Um, for sure. Yeah, this is all really good stuff. What are some other red flags from the player's perspective, from the parent's perspective? You know, you talked about if if a coach is just too agreeable and he's, you know, just everything is too perfect, they might not be being too forthcoming. What are some other red flags? Listen to the message. Uh, listen to what's being said. And if the message changes based on the environment you're in, like um, sometimes They'll tell you, well, baseball's our priority. And then you'll get into the classroom and you'll be like, well, you know, school's really our priority. And it's like, well, which one is it? Can't be both. You know what I mean? So which one is it? Listen to what they're saying. Is the message congruent throughout the entire visit, throughout the entire process? If you tell them, or, you know, if they're assuming early there, there's one thing and then you tell them, okay, this is what's important to me. And then they completely flip the message on you. Like that's something to be really wary of, cautious of. Um, what else? Um, again, do things just add up, you know, get point long. We carry 32 guys. Well, if you show up on the first day and there's 45 guys at practice or ask players, talk to players. That's something for me. That was huge. Talk to players. Like I always wanted our recruits to talk to players. I always wanted that, especially the big ones, because it was their experience. Um, I can, I think our program's one way. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm, I think our program, this is the way that I want our program to be. But but in all honesty, the players are the ones going through the experience. So I told our guys like, hey, dude, talk to our players. This, I might seem like the nicest guy in the world on this 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 recruiting trip. But like talk to some of our pitchers, see what I'm really like during the course of a practice. But, you know, uh, but maybe, you know, I completely change once you get committed, you know, um, and talk to them because I can't answer that. You know, I, I, I'm recruiting you. So by default in the recruiting process, the coach is going to paint the the best picture of a place he's not going to lie and he's not going to you know he's not going to do things of that nature but but he is going to show you the best things of it so talk to players ask them questions re-ask them questions that you got the answers to on the tour and really check things out because they're going to give you the most realistic answer and again sometimes the answer is different from the player's perspective because the coach doesn't know 
Like he thinks like he thinks this is the way that the program goes, but it turns out this is the way it's perceived by the players. Right. Um, so, you know, and you can um, find just about everything out online nowadays, right? Oh my gosh. hundred percent. If, if, a co- especially if a coach is active on social media, it's really easy to kind of get a feel for mm-hmm. what they're like, the message they like to put out, what's important to them. And correct. If you go and on a visit and it's the polar opposite and, you know, that's that stuff can be pretty easy to figure out if you do your research. hundred uh, percent. One of the biggest things is, do you have administrative support as a coach? Yeah. Do you have administrative support? Because I can tell you this, um, not all places have that. And it's a lot harder to function as a coaching staff when you don't have support from your administration. But when you have funding, whether it's funding, whether it's just support of time, resources, classrooms and stuff like that. Um, you know, kind of figure that out. And a big way that you can kind of identify that is look at the other sports. Are they having success within other sports? Um, you know, if it's a program wide success that's happening, then, you know, it, they probably have a ton of administrative supports for a- a- athletics. Um, you Along know, those same lines, one of the things that we talk about at times is, is look at the website. And if this, if the baseball season ends and the next, you know, the next article doesn't, go up until you know february of the following <laughs> year that's a pretty good indication of of support with athletics i didn't even think about that that's genius and it's so funding. true that's so true you understand the sids the same guy for like 18 different programs right yeah and that tells you a lot about funding and and program support and that's not to say that programs that do that can't be great programs but it does it does paint a picture of what's going on on campus. I got a good one. Read the articles, see who the articles are about. Are the articles about the coaching staff? Are the articles about the pitching staff? Are the articles about the hitters? Read box score articles and see who the articles are about. That's a big one. That's a really big one. That'll, that'll tell you a lot. Yeah. That's interesting stuff. Now we've, we've covered wide ranging topics, kind of opened the door on recruiting, which is great to get a perspective from someone who's now, you know, outside of the college ranks and what else do do kids need to know? You know, what, what do I need to know if I'm a high school kid? Is there uh, anything we haven't covered? Just have, yeah, it's a balance between enjoyment, enjoying the game, enjoying the process. Again, no matter what decision you make, it's going to be the right one. Uh, if it ends up being one where you're, in a year or two years, you end up having a transfer that you're just that much smarter and it's stuff that in life you needed to know and you needed to, you know, grow up to. Um, but the other thing too, is like, also understand this, you're closer to the end of your baseball career than you are at the beginning. And so, you know, that goes back to enjoyment, but it also goes back to preparation. Like make sure you're putting in the time, make sure you're preparing that you're, you're the best version of yourself because most of you seniors, guess what? You got four years of baseball left. That's it. It's over. It's done. And so because you're closer to the end of your baseball career than you are at the beginning, like really prepare, really put in the work because you know, you're going to be 35 and just wishing you could throw one more inning or get one more at bat or, or have one more training session. Like those training sessions that suck. We talked about that in Lincoln Memorial. Like we really, there's to condition, to make, get kids to grow, um, to get kids to be tough. You, you do, you have to push them. Growth happens outside of your comfort zone. Um, and so that was something where there was a lot of stuff that really helped toughen those guys up and they're going to have that for the rest of their life. They're going to be better people for going to Lincoln Memorial, but going through it isn't always the most fun thing. It's not as much fun in the moment as maybe playing Fortnite, but we talked about it, which is when you're done with your career, you're going to wish you had conditioning. You're going to wish that you, you know, had lifting. You're going to wish that you were going through all this stuff that you don't like right now. You're going to wish that you had that stuff. And so, you know, because you're closer to the end of your baseball career than you are at the beginning, like embrace that stuff, enjoy it. That stuff, you know, to throw a cliche out there, like enjoy the grind, you know? Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's not a grind like people working in coal mines, but it's still a grind compared to the rest of the 18 year olds, you know, that you're with. And so, you know, really enjoy that stuff and get the most out of your career. So that way, when you look back on it, you can say, I gave everything that I had and I did it the right way. Yeah. And that's what you're going to talk about when you get together with your teammates. <laughs> you're going to remember those guys, dude. Do you remember you... that workout session where... Do you remember when coach got pissed and we had to show up at 5.30 a.m. and he ran us and da, 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 da. That was awful. Anyway, remember after that we went on to win 14 games in a row? Right. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I didn't put two and two together. Oh, yeah. But, like, you're going to – gosh, like, you go to the right program, you're gonna, those guys are going to be in your wedding. Those are going to yeah. be the, you know, good best friends of yours for the rest of your life. 
and that's you know that's another important thing like figure out you know talk to players that graduated from there you know do you still still do you still talk to guys you know is it a place where you know you're going to remember those guys for the rest of your life yeah and you're seeing you know you're seeing with with social media you know things like the flat ground oh. and and those types of things where hey making these connections really it just takes an effort, right? You can find guys, you can send them a DM on social media. You can, uh, you know, there, there's easy ways to find oh, yeah. things out if you're willing oh, yeah. to put in the time. And then, you know, touching on social media, like understand this, guys. Don't freak out over what you saw on social media. Like people only post the highlights on social media, Instagram, Twitter. They only post when things are going good. Like I've got some good things going on in my life and, you know, I, I've got some cool things to post about. But four months ago, five months ago, when I was unemployed, I wasn't tweeting out, woo, I don't have a job. This is sweet. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I just, you know, like, oh, man, you know, things are tough, right? Like, I'm, you're not posting that out. You're kind of laying in the weeds. So, so you know, my, my suggestion, I've even flirted with, you know, really deleting my Twitter um, now that I'm not recruiting and I don't need to, you know, check out, check, you know, get information on players. Um, I've flirted with going away from that because there's so much, even as a coach, you get anxiety because it's like, Oh, this this is happening here. That's happening there. And remember, it's not even necessarily happening. It's just, they're doing a good job of posting out the perception that things are happening or, you know, come train at this facility because this is what's happening here. Well, for that kid, it did, you know, you don't necessarily know the truth about for the rest of the kids that were there. That's one kid out of, uh, you know, 150. So ignore, you know, use social media as a benefit. The way to really utilize social media is get information from the right places about training or about throwing a breaking ball. I think Pitching Ninja is fantastic. Obviously, Driveline Baseball does a good job of putting out good content for pitchers and hitters. Um, so get good information from that. Uh, make connections with coaches. Make connections with people and stuff like that. But for the most part, just ignore the rest of the noise. Yeah. I We heard a really good um, talk by... John Baker, who's the Cubs mental skills coach yeah. or big leaguer. And he was talking about just allowing yourself, you know, forgiving yourself, allowing yourself not to be judged at all times. Oh my gosh. And just let yourself live life. And I think that's a, you know, I, we don't want to keep you here forever, but I think that's a really good note. You know, our yeah. conversation about social media is a, is a good one to end on because, you know, there's a lot of judgment out there, but, at the end of the day, it's, it's like you said, it's just enjoying the process. It's finding a fit. And it's, it's, it's about more than what happens on the field. For sure. For sure. And, you know, um, another thing, too, is parents. I've had, you know, several parents reach out since my last podcast. Or, you know, even kids out there, players out there, reach out to me. You got questions, reach out to me. Let me know who you are, where you're from, what level you're, you know, you're playing, what high school you're at, what JC you're at, you know, all that stuff. Give me some background information. Then just ask me questions or. You know, a lot of them have just been to say thank you, which I appreciate. But like, also understand this is I'm a resource, man. I got it's pretty easy to fire back messages back and forth on Twitter, especially now that I'm not in the recruiting game. So if you've got questions for me, kind of reach out to me. Or if you just want to advice pitching development wise, you know, kind of reach out to me. I'll I'll share the limited in, you know, insight that I do have, um, you know, with you. And hopefully that helps out. But uh, I'm here to answer questions for you. My uh, my DMs on Twitter are completely open. So, you know, whether you follow me or not, or I follow you back or not, you know, shoot me a message and, you know, I'd love, I returned every single one that references, you know, hearing me on this podcast. Outstanding. Yeah. You heard it here, guys. If you have questions, that's a, that's a professional baseball pitching coach right there with a outstanding track record and been a lot of places and can give you some great information. So we'll make sure we include, uh, that, that Twitter handle in the sure. podcast notes, but yep. It's always uh, always a pleasure to have you on, Coach K. Yeah. Um, really enjoy talking shop, and hopefully this won't be the last time we're able to. Uh, oh, definitely not. Rope you into coming back on. Definitely not. And like we we joked around off air, but uh, before we went on, but missed me at the ABCA podcast. We missed connecting with each other, but next time we'll, we'll definitely connect. And hopefully this is you know the second of, of many appearances on here. Absolutely, we'll do a we'll do a live one <laughs> from from next ABCA. We'll do a live one from middle of the conference hall let's do that i'm 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 down let's roll (laughs) ah you got me fired up now let's go all right all right i'm gonna hold you to that man um but best of luck with with your start with the blue jays i know you're probably getting excited to get started um great information and uh you know it won't be the last time you hear from from us that keep playing baseball so appreciate your time yeah thanks for having me again 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast brought to you by Keep Playing Baseball. As always, if you need more information on the recruiting process or how to play college baseball, you can find that for free on our website, www.keepplayingbaseball.org. We're also very active on social media. That's at KeepPlayingBB on Twitter, KeepPlayingBaseball on Facebook, and at KeepPlayingBaseball on Instagram. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please take the time to subscribe and leave us a review, or at least tell your friends. We provide all this information for free because we want to help you get to the next level. If you're interested in a partnership or sponsorship in underwriting some of the Keep Playing Baseball content on our website or being the title sponsor or running ads on our podcast, please don't hesitate to reach out to keepplayingbaseball at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening to this episode, and we look forward to catching you on the next one.